Well, let's read starting at verse 28, Luke chapter 18. Now, Peter said, behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he, Jesus, he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much as this time and in the age to come eternal life. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things which are written through the prophets about the son of man will be accomplished for he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things and the meaning of the statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. Amen. Now, last week, congregation, you'll remember we were talking about the encounter of the rich young ruler with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll recall with me that the rich young ruler came up to Jesus because he wanted to know how to have eternal life. And you'll remember Jesus gave him a twofold response to his question. The first response was was a question of Jesus's own. And he said, why do you call me good? So he wanted the rich young ruler to understand who uh, Jesus was. The second thing that Jesus did there was he gave the rich young ruler the law of God. Very interesting, uh, but very, I think, important that we understand the, the reasoning. I think that Jesus did so that Jesus had to set the table. If this man really wanted to have eternal life, he really un- needed to understand where he stood with God. And, and one of the things that comes forward in that previous story was that the rich young ruler really did not understand, boys and girls, where he stood with the Lord. He thought he was right with the Lord because he said that with his with regard to the law of God, he had kept the law of God perfectly from his youth up. And that was, of course, of great miscalculation. It was a great misunderstanding of himself. It was a great misunderstanding of the of, of God's requirements. You know, the law of God, if you were to summarize the law of God, it means you love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And the problem is we've never done that perfectly ever one day in our life, even as believers who do love the Lord. Even there, we've fallen short uh, of of doing that perfectly with absolute 100 percent obedience. And so this man was gravely mistaken about his own condition And so Jesus here is trying to show him. So what does he do? Well, he says, sell everything you have and come and follow me. Now, why did Jesus tell him to do that? Well, that's not a requirement of every Christian that we sell and liquidate all our assets. It may be a requirement for for some uh, in extraordinary cases. But here, I think what Jesus was trying to show this rich young ruler was he still didn't have God as his God yet. He still wasn't prepared to give up everything if called upon to do so and serve no one but God alone. And and so the rich young ruler goes away sad. And Jesus, of course, says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That, of course, astonishes the crowd. The cries go out. Who can can be saved? Because it is ordinarily thought that, you know, God's favor is upon them. And if they can't be saved, well, who can be saved? 
And Jesus, of course, says what's impossible with men is possible with God. That is, with grace, it's, it's possible even for a rich young ruler to be saved. Now, I love Peter. I think as many of you do, too, because Peter pipes up often, doesn't he? And uh, here is no exception. So Jesus has just said that, that what he has said. And what does Peter say? Well, ho, ho, you know, he raises his hand. He says, well, wait a minute, Lord, we've left houses and family for you. And uh, he's making sure Jesus uh, appreciates and realizes, hey, wait a minute here. Uh, what you asked this guy to do, uh, I want you to know, Lord, we're we have left family at home. We've left our homes and we're following you. And so Jesus here is going to respond to that in two parts. The first part is verse 28 to 30. And I'm going to entitle this first part, the cost and benefits of following Jesus, the cost and the benefits of following Jesus, verses 28 to 30. And then the second point I want for us today is from verses 31 to 34, making sure you understand where Jesus is going. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to know where is Jesus going. And so we are going to look at the cost and the benefits of following Jesus, verses 28 to 30. Secondly, 31 to 34, making sure we understand where Jesus is going. So look at the twofold answer here that Jesus has for Peter and for his disciples. So Peter says in 28, behold, we have left our homes and followed you. So Jesus responds here in verse 29, and he, Jesus, said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come, eternal life. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, Jesus here is saying, first of all, notice here that we will have to at times leave for the sake of the kingdom. Um, sometimes maybe those that are closest or nearest and dearest to us. Now, the disciples knew something of this. He, of course, left his home and his family along with Andrew, his brother and you know that as you read the Gospels, James and John did the same. What did they do, boys and girls? They, you remember when Jesus said, come, follow me. And what did they do? They left their nets. They left the family business. There's dad with the servants still working on the, the, the nets in the boats. And they go and they follow Jesus. Uh, we see this in the Old Testament. People leaving uh Blessings of God for the sake of the kingdom. Jeremiah, you'll remember, out of faithfulness to preaching the word of God, gets put in a well, thrown in a well. and has to stay down there until he's rescued by a eunuch. Uh, David had to flee to a cave in, um, when Saul was pursuing him. Abel, you'll remember the story of Abel who bled in a field from a fatal wound because of his faithfulness. So, Sometimes the Lord may call us to be faithful, uh, even at the cost of our own life. Hebrews 11 is is filled with these things. Uh, we see in, in the famous chapter about the heroes of the faith. We read uh, things like this. 
for verse 23, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. But when they saw he was a beautiful child, they were not afraid of the king's edict. But when, by faith, when he had grown up, Moses had refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He, he was willing to leave the court of Pharaoh, the, the riches of Egypt, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Jesus Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. You could go on uh, as they speak about what more shall I say? He speaks of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets. And they did all these great things for the sake of the kingdom. And yet, what are we told? All these, verse 39, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. And saying that. The saints of old often followed Jesus Christ, even though they had very little of Jesus to behold compared to ourselves. That is, uh, they saw at a distance what we see up near and close. But nevertheless, what images of Christ they saw typologically, they believed on and they were willing at the expense of their own comforts to follow what little revelation they had in that day comparatively in order to be faithful. And here we need to do the same. How much more? We've been given so much more, haven't we? Than, than the Old Testament saints. I always find it kind of funny when people say, you know, Pastor, do you still believe in tithing? And I think to myself, do you really want to give less than people who looked at Jesus by way of typology, by looking at sheep and goats and bulls? I mean, do you, you know, do you really want to give less to the kingdom of God? Then uh, Middle Eastern peasants who were living a nomadic life in the desert, who, who saw Jesus from afar. I mean, God forbid <laughs> that you want to do that. We've been given so much more of Christ. Uh, why wouldn't we want to give more than the saints of, of the old covenant? But we need to realize Jesus here does sometimes call us to leave uh, in various ways. For the sake of the kingdom. You know, it, it may be that one of you or two of you are called to leave for the mission field when you grow up. Maybe some of you will have your own kids or grandchildren leaving for the mission field. And it will mean that in this world you just will not see them as much as uh, other grandparents might get to see their grandchildren. It may mean that you have to move to a different part of the country. In order to serve Jesus Christ, it may mean uh, leaving the family enterprise like Andrew and Simon and James and John. It may mean uh, having to leave a job. Think of Levi, the tax collector. And he's, Jesus says, come and follow me. And he leaves his job. We may be called. You, you know, some of you men may experience the point where you can no longer serve Jesus Christ faithfully where you are. That the company will make requirements of you that will go against your Christian conscience and you no longer will be able to serve in that environment any longer. It will no longer be a lawful vocation for you and you will have to choose uh, Jesus Christ and, and go and, and seek to serve him vocationally elsewhere. It may be uh, that you, you 
like Zacchaeus, will need to leave money. Uh, Zacchaeus needed to make restitution for wrongs that he had done. And so he says, Lord, you know, if I have defrauded anybody in the past, he's come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he realizes that, you know, in many ways he may not have been honest in all his dealings with people in the past. And he says, Lord, if I have defrauded anybody, I'll make restitution to them. So it may be that the calling of Christ means that you have to separate yourself from money uh, in order to make good on on people that you've wronged in the past. Uh, That may be part of what it is for you to come to Jesus Christ. We know of people who live in different parts of the world that have to leave a home and mother and father uh, by coming to Jesus Christ. Um, some of you have gone through the pain of having in some ways to, uh, if you will, familiarly or emotionally leave your family. To, for you to accept Jesus Christ meant that you had to, yes, you had to reject the wrong teachings Of your parents, if you were raised in uh, an unorthodox home or a non-Christian home, a home that embraced another religion, you had to leave them. And that sometimes can be hard uh, to have to to explain to parents that you love them, but yet you you cannot walk in in their idolatry any longer. And and that can create friction. Um, For some people in parts of the world, that estrangement can even lead to death threats. There are boys and girls, people who they come to faith in Jesus Christ and they have family members who believe it's their religious duty, therefore, to kill them. uh, Because they've come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so sometimes they have to they have to go into hiding. They have to leave. They depend upon the church for some kind of security and refuge. Um, There there are parts in. In the Far East, where becoming a Christian may mean they give up the idea of having a family one day. That there's there's too few Christian men. And and so for a woman in certain parts of the world to become a Christian and follow Jesus Christ, it means that her marital prospects will go down greatly. And and she may part of the cost may be that she never has a, a family of her own. She has to count that as part of the cost. And so it may be that. The Lord may lead us uh, to various trials, various crosses will be laid upon different Christians differently. And Jesus gives us probably all of us a, a test or a trial somehow where we're asked, you know, will you leave for my sake? You remember Eli in the book of Samuel and his unfaithfulness. Why was Eli unfaithful? Because he knew his sons were doing wrong and he wouldn't discipline his sons. He, he wouldn't correct them. He, I think he admonishes them one time. But he never removes them from their office for their adultery and for their theft at, at the place of sacrifice. And because of it, God ends up having to bring a judgment on, on the whole family. I think there's an indication where there he was told... You know, even by young Samuel, in the sense to leave his family for the sake of Christ, consider God's glory greater than that of his son's comfort. And yet he refused to do so. And because of that, a calamity befalls him and his family. Now, Jesus says not only, though, is there a cost, but there are clearly also, Jesus says here, uh, a lot of benefits Uh, And I want to talk about that as well. 
Notice here that Jesus says in uh, Luke 18, he says, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. Then he notice he says there will be benefits who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. So with the cost of following Jesus, there are these benefits. And that is that the Lord takes heed to the sufferings of his people for Jesus's sake. And he compensates those sorrows and sufferings with other benefits and blessings that you would otherwise never have except that you came to faith in Jesus Christ. So, for example, let's take the 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 idea again of having to leave family here for the sake of Christ. Some of you have known what it is to leave family because you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You could no longer stand where you once stood with regard to your family and your relationship to your family. You grew up in a non-Christian home. You came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now there is this, uh, if you will, separation between you and what your family believes. And in many ways, you, you have been separated by that. What does light have in common with darkness? You are no longer equally yoked. And there are sorrows that come with that. But that Jesus says, but there's also these great benefits of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Namely, that Jesus compensates such folks with giving them family in the church. That is, God multiplies our families in ways that the world never could understand. That we, while we lose sometimes, in some sense, maybe a natural family, we gain a spiritual family. We have now many mothers, many fathers, Many grandparents, many brothers, many sisters that we would never have known had we not come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about for a moment here, what would your life be like if you had lived a typical secular Western life instead of coming to faith in Jesus Christ and knowing the benefits of Christ and the family of God in the church? What, how many friends would you really have? What would your life really look like if you had remained a secular life? Well, I can tell you that you wouldn't have nearly as many friends as you do. I can guarantee you, if you live a Western secular life, you do not have nearly as many friends as the average Christian does. And, and sociologists are even writing about this now, that this is a growing Western phenomenon, that the, the growing isolation with technology and home entertainment, more and more families uh, and people, individuals are becoming more and more isolated, fewer and fewer friends, fewer and fewer uh, in any sense of family. Uh, there's a growing isolation in our culture. But for the Christian, for us, we know the benefits of that. We know what it is to be able to You think about the times you've gone to a public event, maybe a, a rec league soccer game or maybe um, a school football game. And you look in the stands and you see all the people 
that you know because you're a Christian. All the people that you could go and sit next to them and you could immediately strike up a conversation and fellowship with them because they're in Christ and you're in Christ. Even if you go to different churches, there are so many uh, people. Think about all, all the homes that God has put you in since you became a Christian. Homes that you never would have known. Homes that you never would have visited. Homes that you never would have had any fellowship in had you not come to, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these benefits are ours, both in the present life and, Jesus says, for the life to come. Now, I do want to make this application for us here, whether you're a visitor or whether you are a member. I want to suggest here one of the things to take away, I think, from the, the blessings and the benefits of leaving everything for Jesus is that it shows the, I think, implicitly the relationship between Christ and his church, Christ and his people. That is that the blessings of Christ come how? Through the people of Christ. That ordinarily the blessings of Christ, the blessings of the kingdom come to us through his church. How do I get many fathers? Through his church. How do I get many mothers? Through his church. How do I get many siblings? Those of you who were born as only children, you get siblings through his church. And I want to suggest that it shows that Christians who minimize their involvement in the church are missing out on the greatest blessings that this world has to offer. That, that those who minimize uh, service and involvement in the body life of Jesus Christ, you're missing out. And I want to invite you as a pastor, if you've been on the fringes uh, of, the, of the congregation's life, to come in from the fringes into the center and know the reality of what it is to have lots of grandmothers. And, and to know the reality of what it is to have lots of siblings. To be involved in the church. For these are the, the, some of the greatest blessings that are to be found in this life. And not only do non-believers not experience these things, though they might by common grace experience something like it. But it's never the same. That is, I think, you know, I think there are blessings that you can gain from being on a football team together or sports team together. There's some level of camaraderie, but it never, never, ever comes to the level of being together as a family in the church. And uh, so it, it's an admonition for us all to be involved in the church, to be emotionally involved in the life of the church. Don't divest yourself of uh, of your affections for the church. You say, well, the church has hurt me in the past. I don't want to get involved. Well, love always hurts. Love always is vulnerable. Uh, That's what it is to love. You you know, you're, you're going to diminish your capacity for love if you're going to diminish your capacity to be emotionally involved in the lives of other people. You don't want to live that kind of life. 
Now, that's a very stunted way to, to live. And, and I think it'll give you, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll make your faith a bit tinny rather than vibrant. Now, Jesus says not only are there going to be blessings uh, for this life, but also he says it extends even into eternity. In fact, I think what we receive in this life actually gets compounded in eternity. That is, those who invest themselves most heavily in the life of Christ, in the life of the church in this world, their blessings get compounded all the more in glory. That those who have given the most to Christ's people will receive the most in, in the blessings of the kingdom. And what will those blessings be? Well, of course, we know some of them. Life without sin, life without sorrow, eternal life, life that does not end in death. We'll know the, a perfect life, a life lived in perfect righteousness, the ability to present perfect obedience to God. Won't that be nice to never have to worry that I'm going to fall short of perfectly obeying any command of God in the future, that I I won't have any reservation within me. There will be no enmity between my flesh and what the spirit wants me to do, that that they will cooperate in perfect harmony, that I'll know no tension, no resistance. No friction, no enmity between these realities. I will be the perfect vessel. You will be the perfect vessel to serve Christ in eternity. You will know complete joy. Your your cup will run it over. You will be filled with absolute, unspeakable joy. Uh, That will be overflowing. And, and, you know, people always ask, you know, well, how, how can the... How can you, Pastor, say everybody's joy will be full and and at the same time you seem to suggest that those who are most dedicated and faithful to Christ in this life will have more? Well, God will give you capacity for more. Everybody's cup will run it over, but not everybody's cup will be the same size. And God will will reward those who follow him and leave everything for him in this life. Uh, they will have large cups that will be, be filled with unspeakable joy uh, that may be larger than ours. You know, the Bible says that uh, Romans 8, verse 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know, this light uh, with all its glory, we don't want to deny the glory of this present world. God created this world. But this this present world has been scarred by human rebellion and sin and all its ugly consequences that we read about daily in the news. And that we will be given a, a world of perfection, a world of glory that will have no mark of sin, no scars due to our unfaithfulness. And I would suggest that even as the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is coming in the eschaton, that the same is true even with our blessings in this present time. Even the things that are blessings 
may not be worthy to be compared with the blessings of the future. You know, that I think is why Isaiah says to the eunuch in um, he says, you know, you, you who keep my Sabbaths, you eunuchs, you, you women who bear no children, you know, don't say I'm a dry tree. Why? Because I'm going to give you blessings that are greater than that of children. That is, the blessings of the world to come are even better than the blessings God gives in this life. And, and that, that the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath will receive Far more in the, in the world that is to come. So not only, I think, are the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory, but even the blessings of this present life. And when we realize that, maybe it's easier for us to let go of blessings that we are clinging too much to. I don't want my children to go on the field. Parents are often the greatest opposition to children going on the field. But those who will lose everything for Jesus Christ ultimately lose nothing at all. They are the infinite gainers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The blessings are ours in this life and for the life that is to come. Now, having said that, let me move to the second part of Jesus' answer to Peter. In verse 31 to 34. Now, in this second part of this answer, notice here that this seems to be spoken to the disciples privately. The first part seems to have been spoken to the entire group. But now we are told in verse 31 that he, Jesus, took the twelve aside and said to them this second part. There's something else Jesus wants us to know in his response To the rich young ruler walking away and people asking who then can be saved. And that which is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter saying, we've left everything. And yes, there's costs of leaving, following Jesus, but there are benefits. And then here's the second part. Jesus wants the inner circle to understand where he's going. If they are called to follow him. Jesus here takes them aside privately and says, let me make sure I communicate to you where I'm going. And that, just to some, is he's going to Jerusalem. He, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. And so we're not just following him. You see, even Judas was willing to follow Jesus, wasn't he? So long as what? So long as Jesus was headed toward glory. Judas was willing to follow Jesus so long as it would lead to glory. So long as Judas could be one of the twelve sitting around Jesus, judging the twelve tribes without the cross, without the suffering, without the humiliation. Judas is willing to follow along. I think it's as we get toward Jerusalem and Judas begins to realize That which Jesus has been communicating to his disciples, that this is going to lead to an ignoble death on the cross. This is going to lead to suffering. This is going to lead to persecution for the Son of Man. This is going to lead to humiliation, to scoffing, beatings. And ultimately crucifixion and the wrath of God being poured out. That's when Judas becomes disillusioned. 
That's the way the world is, too. The world wants to follow Jesus so long as it'll lead to glory. That's the that's the problem with your, your health, wealth, gospel. The health, wealth, gospel says follow Jesus, because if you follow Jesus, you'll get all the health and the wealth that you want in this world. That's your ticket. Just exercise faith, just to have enough faith. But that's not what Christ is saying. Jesus is saying here, look, guys, I want you to understand where I'm going. Yes, I'm going to glory, but I'm going to glory via the cross of Christ. And there's no going to glory without going to Golgotha. There's no going to the eternal throne of my father and presenting myself there. If I don't first obey the father here in this world, my father has called me to suffer and die for the sins of his people. This is the covenant that we made in eternity past together as father and son with the Holy Spirit. We made this covenant of redemption. We made this covenant that the son would come into the world and save his elect. And I, as the son of God, having become a man and now purposed to go to Jerusalem, you 12 need to understand this. That the purpose for which I came into this world was to suffer and to die ultimately. And there is a glory coming. For those who believe and follow me. But there's a suffering and a humiliation that must come first. And that is the and we need to understand this as Christians, because what we need to understand is, is that it is the same for us in this world. That we must take up our cross and follow after him. If we want to go to glory where Christ is, we must be willing to bear our cross and follow after him. There must be a crown of thorns before there is a crown of righteousness. So, verse 31, then Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And all the things which were written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now, you need to understand, Jesus is not introducing anything new here. This is what's been written about the Savior from the beginning. That the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. But what? Genesis 3.15. But the seed of the woman would have his heel bruised. There would be a price to pay for the victory over Satan. That from the very first prophecy in the Bible. Genesis 3.15. And, and it continues on. You can... You, you, you can... You can look at Psalm 22 and the the sufferings of David pointing to Christ. You can look at Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant who takes the place as a substitute for sinners. Uh, You you can look at Zechariah chapter 11, verse 13, and, and read about the 30 pieces of silver for which he would be betrayed. Given to the potter and and many more. Jesus is saying here that this is what was written through the prophets about the Son of Man. All of these things in the Old Testament were written about me, says Jesus. And so I am going to fulfill what the prophets have prophesied. I will go to the cross. Now, what's going to happen? Well, verse 32, he will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. Now, who crucified Christ? Our culture obsesses over that question. The answer is everybody is represented there. Okay, there's nobody innocent. The Jew hands him over. The Gentile takes him. 
and mistreats him and crucifies him. Jew and Gentile are both represented in the crucifixion of Jesus. It's not one or the other. All are guilty here in the death of of the Son of God. He will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. So Jesus makes it plain. What is he going to do? He's going to die for the sins of his people. He's going to die so that we could be saved. Now, I want to say to you, you need to understand this. At this point in redemptive history, the disciples still don't understand it. You see that in verse 34. Now, why don't they understand it? It's not that it's not it's not that it's difficult to understand. In one sense, it's a very simple message. The son of God dies for sinners. What is the difficulty? The difficulty is, though, it is spiritually incomprehensible. Unless the spirit of God illuminates your understanding. I remember illustrate this. I remember years ago talking to a woman about the life of Jesus. And she said to me, she said, Jesus lived a very sad life. And in one way, I understand what she means. And yes, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We, we acknowledge that. But the problem was, as I discussed this, I began to realize that that's the only thing the woman could see. You don't want to follow Jesus because Jesus' life was full of sorrow. She couldn't see the glory. She couldn't see the redemptive purpose behind the suffering. Her eyes were unopened. Like the disciples here at this point in history, they don't see why he should have to do this. This is why Peter opposes in another scene, why Peter opposes Jesus when he tells them again, I'm going to the cross. And Peter says, you remember, boys and girls, God forbid that you go to the cross, Jesus. And that's where Peter gets the harshest rebuke. Remember that? Get behind me, Satan. It's Satan who wants to oppose Jesus and wants to keep him from going to the cross, because that is where Satan will be defeated. So let me ask you this question. Do you understand this morning why it is necessary for Jesus to suffer? Maybe you're visiting here this morning and you have various notions of Christianity, but maybe don't have a clear understanding. Why? Why is it necessary to focus on the cross? Why is it necessary that Jesus hang? Isn't that an awful story? Well, in many ways, it is an awful story, but it is also the best of stories. Because it is a demonstration of God's love for you. God loved you and gave himself for you in the giving of his son. He was willing to crucify his son. He was willing to put his son to a shameful death on your behalf. That is the extent. Behold the love of the Father. No greater love is there than this, that one man should lay down his life for another. And so while it's an awful story, it's a a beautiful story, too. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will open your understanding 
of why Jesus had to die and why he had to suffer. Because there was no other way to save us from ourselves and from our calamity and the judgment we deserve because of our sins. Somebody who was righteous and sinless had to take our place, live the life you and I should have lived and die the death that we were owed. And Jesus said, I'm willing to do that for you. What the spirit does is he applies that. And gives us understanding so that now we see the loveliness of Jesus Christ. That he would lay down his life for me. And we ask ourselves, why would he do that for me? Because of his great love for you. Will you accept that love? Will will you be willing to follow Jesus? Even if it means leaving your father, leaving your mother, leaving your siblings, leaving your home leaving this world, maybe even having to leave one day your life. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to make that kind of commitment? Because Christ made that commitment for you. Let's pray together.